Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vinepair's Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. Based upon some very light, half-arsed internet research, it seems there are no proverbs involving cocktails, which frankly seems like an opportunity missed. But the topic of today's techniques episode does invoke the old adage about catching someone a fish versus schooling them in the fine art of angling. The sour family of cocktails not only boasts some of the world's most beloved mixed drinks, but it also offers a template that can be tweaked and adapted to your heart's content, thus turning a small collection of booze and a handful of supporting ingredients most notably fresh citrus, into a world of infinite drinking opportunities. We like that here at Cocktail College Listener. And that's pretty much all I'm going to say on today's topic for now. Instead, we'll turn our attention briefly to today's guest, Mike Lay. Based in Las Vegas and a two-times James Beard semi-finalist, Mike is the beverage director for the Mina Group, and he arrives in the virtual studio with years of experience in the drinks and hospitality industry. He is, therefore, the ideal candidate to talk us through that iconic trinity of spirit, sweetener, and citrus with an optional egg white. You know where we're at, listener, and you know full well by now the fine folks bringing it to you. So let's do this, shall we? It's another edition of the Cocktail College podcast today. We're bringing back a Techniques episode two for you listeners. We know you love them. And joining us in the hot seat over there, all the way over there in Las Vegas, we got Mike Lay. Mike, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Excited to get into this one. You know, techniques episodes in the past, we've looked at things like etiquette, service, acid adjusting, we've gone technical. But today, we're going to examine a category of cocktails, sours. Just off the bat, how do you feel about this kind of this this category of drinks, this style of cocktails. Um, I, th- I think it's great. I think that this is you know the foundation that you can build a lot of, it, it, plenty of room for creativity. And then you know you you have um, classic cocktails that started with old fashions, and then when we started getting into syrups, when you know refrigeration started to become more commonplace, you see a lot more citrus popping up. You know, I think this is really the the the, the foundation that a lot of stuff is built on. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm. I, I'm not a pro when it comes to working behind the bar or whatever. I'm an enthusiast. This is something I look, you know, am involved in professionally, but maybe from from a little distance here. But occasionally, I will kind of help people with their cocktails. People ask for advice or whatnot. And the thing that strikes me about sours is that if you learn the template, you're actually learning hundreds of different recipes in one, which is so cool, right? Like you teach someone how to make. One of the cocktails we'll discuss today, say the daiquiri, right? You teach them how to make that and you say, hey, you can sub in this, you can swap that out. And basically you got a completely different drink that you're pretty much certain is going to work. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us about this, Mike, for, for those listening who might not be familiar with sours, how would you specifically describe this, this cocktail template? And do you view it as having a kind of set in stone ratio for different ingredients or does it kind of change depending on what you're including in your sour? I think in the, the basic sense, we distill it down to the, just the bare bones. Um, you know, sours made up of uh, spirits, um, juice for sourness, sugar for sweetness to balance it. 
um, you know, a traditional sour being made with egg white and a non-traditional being no egg white. Um, but, you know, I, I tend to stick to a, you know, a, just set of rules that, that were passed on to me. Um, but, you know, with that, you can break the rules. You can be as creative as you want. But I think that balance is the key. So if we're talking, you know, just the, the basic, you know, structure of, of a sour, you're looking at, you know, the one, to, one and a half to two ounces of your base spirit uh, or a combination or complementary spirit. And then if we're using lemon, uh, I tend to do three quarters lemon and balance it out with the same amount of sweetener, um, mm-hmm. three quarters sweetener. And if it was a lime, I would do one lime and three quarters sweetener to adjust for for the acid. But you know that's that's just that's more of like a um, like a Sasha Petrosky um, milk and honey sort of um, um, look at a sour. But with that, I mean, if you're using if you're in any sort of like if there's pineapple juice in there, like you know you might want to cut down the citrus. If you're using something that's overly sweet, like a maple syrup. Um, you know, you might have to adjust it for, for there, but I think that that that's basically where I start from and then, you know, see, see where it goes. Interesting. And, you know, I mentioned the daiquiri before, but I think there's some other examples too, very famous sours that actually include the word in their name. Um, we've covered a couple of them on this show before, including the whiskey sour and the pisco sour. And a couple of things, I mean, they're not served in exactly the same way. But one thing those two drinks do share is the inclusion of egg white. Would you say that's traditional or untraditional for this template? Absolutely traditional. So if we're talking about like a bona fide sour textbook definition, you're always going to include an egg white in that drink or in that conversation, shall we say? Definitely in the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. And I know we'll, you know, we'll get into our ingredients a little bit later and keen to hear your thoughts on maybe some of the substitutes or, or you know, what, what you're thinking when it comes to eggs. Um, but just, you know, given that I've mentioned the daiquiri there, why do you think there are some instances that don't therefore include egg white but do fall into this family? Or is it a case of like, these drinks aren't trying to be a quote-unquote traditional sour, but we still think of them in that way because they follow that kind of roughly two-one-one, slightly tweaked formula that you spoke about. It, I think that the sour with the inclusion of the egg white, um, you know, I, I, versus how a daiquiri would be made, we, we, I would classify that to myself uh, as a non-traditional type of sour. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think that it, it's, it's, it comes down to a matter of, uh, you know, the chicken and the egg, what came first? <laughs> um, you know, if, if somebody had a, had a, um, a non-traditional sour and, and somehow they, they were able to add egg white into, into their mix and get the, this viscosity mm-hmm. or, uh, old school bartenders actually knew, um, putting egg white into their sour mix, um, to get a different type of viscosity, um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I know that you can break down that recipe. And it appears in everything. I mean, you you leave the egg white out, and, and you put it in a Collins glass, and you add soda, and suddenly you have a Collins. Um, you know, you leave it out, and you 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 um, you fix it with fruit at the bottom of a glass, and you have a you have a fix. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you know that daiquiri style does pop up, uh, uh, you know, in a lot of different places around the Caribbean. Planters Punch would be a good example. A tea punch in Martinique, which is sort of an old fashioned build with the citrus would be one of those examples. So I think that with the egg white being the ingredient that that isn't common in all the, those other ones, um, I'm not really sure what came first. But, um, you know, I think that that in its traditional sense, it would be that sour recipe um, 
you know, with, with, with that egg white in there. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not sure if I, if I no, answered yeah. your question. No, I think it, I think it's fascinating too. I mean, when we're talking about this chicken and egg situation, I wonder whether, you know, like, look, McClue's in the name. It's called the sour. So like, it's not called, I don't know, the fluffy or whatever. I don't know what you would call that, but you know what I mean? Like as a template, like, so maybe that speaks more to, you know, it's a whiskey sour, it's whiskey and citrus. I don't know. Have you ever had a daiquiri with an egg white? I've never had one. And now I'm like, I'd be interested to try that, though not necessarily convinced it might be good. That's a good question. I, I don't think so. <laughs> what would you call it? The daiquiri sour. Why is it called a daiquiri sour? Because it's got an egg white, of course. Yeah, that would that would be uh, that would be fun to try. It. It's right there. You know, I, I don't think I've ever done it before. And what about some other examples you can give us? So we mentioned daiquiri, whiskey sour, pisco sour. Are there any ones uh, out there, classic drinks, drinks that if people are looking at this style for the first time, you're like, oh, well, you got to try this, um, whether they're classics or maybe even modern classics too? Yeah, I think if we're talking classics and you go back in time when when this category was like super popular, like, um, you know, around, around the turn of the century, you see it pop up every like in all sorts of places. A champagne sour, you know, you have like a your you know your French seventy five style of build, or when brandy or calvados was a super um, popular ingredient, especially around the Caribbean, when you know rum was considered a you know a, a byproduct of industrial uh, sh- you know sh- sugar um, manufacture. But um, you know you, you have your Saint Croix rum sour, Applejack sour, brandy sour, um, you know your gin sours, um, which would probably be you know, very fun to try like your, like your daiquiri sour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, I think, and, and, you know, classically it just, it seems like bartenders would, would take things and then add egg whites to them. And, you know, and they probably were fascinated by the, you know, the, the viscosity and the, the texture and, you know, the, the easy to drink, you know, the, the egg white will add, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that texture really is so appealing and it really transforms the drink, right? Like you said, it adds it adds kind of weight to it in a way, but it still remains refreshing. Um, what about from a modern point of view? I think, I don't know, one cocktail that I always recommend to folks who are like just getting into it for the first time and they like bourbon. I'm a big fan of the the Gold Rush. That's a, that's a wonderful drink right there. Oh, Gold Rush is fantastic. Um, and you know, this reminds me of, um, um, years ago, um, probably around 2008, nine, 10 in San Francisco. Um, you know, and that city was just, had so much life in, in the bar community and, and the restaurant community. And it still does, but it was, a, I think it was a special time in that city. Um, you know, there was a cocktail that this place called Breda in the mission district used to make. Um, and it was sort of a play on a, um, a rattlesnake, which is, uh, um, I believe it. Someone's going to, you know, disagree with me somewhere, but I believe that it's a whiskey sour that had Peychaud bitters in it. Um, they reimagined it and put maple syrup in it. You know, it had the egg white, it had the bitters, and it was it was incredible. Yeah, just yeah, exactly. Making one of those tweaks and perhaps adding another little ingredient that doesn't, you know, dramatically change things, like you said, they're bitters, and it just unlocks this whole new world. Of possibilities, and I think that they they had won a bunch of awards for for that cocktail, and you know it was so simple. But you know that's another example of being creative uh, with you know replacing your sugar, swapping it out for something else. But yeah, so you look back to that gold rush and 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 the creator there, T.J. Siegel, and it 
it's interesting, right? Because you're talking about whiskey, lemon juice, and all you're doing is adding this honey simple syrup. I think it's a two to one. I'm not exactly sure. I believe it is a rich honey syrup. But that one ingredient creates this, what I would say, like beloved modern classic. So I don't know. There's, there seems, I would imagine there's probably plenty of other opportunities for those out there looking to come up with their own drinks um, within the sour category. Absolutely. And on that front, you know, you mentioned the rattlesnake there before. We've spoken about iconic sours, but are there maybe one or two other lesser known ones, but the recipes are out there that you've come across in your time or maybe you yourself have come up with? Well, um, something that I've seen recently and I've, I've, I've made them at home and um, they're like super delicious, but this Campari sour, that's, this fab that's been popping up lately, I've seen it on a, in a couple different publications, but um, you know, that's essentially just sweetened Campari. Um, you know, with the, with the addition of the, the citrus and the, and the sweetness. And, um, I think I saw a, uh, a Negroni sour, which is, which is crazy and sounds crazy delicious. Yeah, um, that so that, that's, those wild. are, two, those are two classic cocktails that, um, you know, that, <laughs> that, that, that shouldn't have those things added to them. They do. And they're, and they're outstanding. I get it. it. sounds like someone heard about my daiquiri sour idea and they're like, all right, what else? What other cocktails can we come up with here? No, I love that. The Negroni sour, the Campari <laughs> sour. Wonderful. I got to try these drinks. Um, so we've covered iconic ones. We've covered lesser known ones. Now let's dig into these ingredients. Um, and I want us to start with citrus because, as I said there, the clue's kind of in the name. So we've seen that some folks these days tend toward a three-quarter, three-quartering uh, rather than one-one. Um, general rules of thumb when it comes to lemon versus lime, you know, when it comes to matching that with the sweetening agent, or is this too much of a general topic for us to, you know, like bring it all under one umbrella there? No, I think we should, let's do it. We should do it because I have, <laughs> I, I have a lot of drinks that are, that are, that are out of balance quite often, unfortunately, when I'm, when I'm traveling <laughs> around and, and that's a whole different topic entirely. But, um, I think that there, um, there, sometimes it's good to have rules. Sometimes it's good to break the rules, but, um, you know, I think that having a good, a good foundation is when you know what the classics are, when you, when you, when you have that foundation, then, and only then can you diverge off of that with the knowledge and the wisdom um, that what you're going to do is is probably going to turn out right because you already have that knowledge established. So citrus, you know, I you know we, we were talking about the way that I, I think about that and when where I start from and and not always. There's plenty of instances where th- this is not to be followed, but you know, starting with a base of three quarters of lemon. And then if, if it's lime, uh, you know, an ounce of lime and, mm-hmm. you know, that the lime doesn't have as, is nearly as, as tart as that lemon. So you can kind of back it off a little bit. And yeah. And then, and as far as adding sugar goes, like, I, I think that, um, people's palates are, are starting to prefer things that are drier and drier. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I worked at a high end, uh, Mexican restaurant in Los Angeles for a number of years. And, and it, it, it like, was amazing how many people came in. They go, hey, can I can I have a margarita? Um, you know, we made we followed the Tommy's recipe of you know tequila, lime juice, agave nectar, and they said I don't want any sugar in it. I just want I just want tequila and lime juice. <laughs> and we're all like, what? That, that sounds that, that sounds gross. 
Um, and then how many times we've been at a bar and, and overheard somebody say, hey, listen, can I have this, but not too sweet. Mm-hmm. And it might be their first time there, but they're probably used to getting things that are very sugary. And, um, you know, the, 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 the beauty of a sour, the beauty of these, these styles of cocktails is that they're meant to be, they're meant to be balanced. Um, and so being able to back off um, on those sweetening agents and, and um, you know, what, whatever sugar they're using um, to, to, to have a drier cocktail, to have a more, um, you know, a, a rounder, more balanced cocktail, you know, I think is super important. So I think it's, it's definitely worth discussing always. And when it comes down to that, you know, maybe traditionally overly sweet drinks, I do tend to wonder whether that's because people were using sour mix back in the day, right? And then you're trying to probably cover up the terrible or less than stellar flavor of those mixes. Um, so how do you do that? Well, you just up the sugar and probably add a bit too much booze and then suddenly no one cares, right? <laughs> Yeah, that, that's right. And you know, I, I years ago I, I worked at those places where we'd we'd have we'd we'd make a sour mix, and um, even if it was homemade, you know, and you're just dumping them in. And these cocktails aren't also shaken and prepared properly, but um, you know that that's 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 where it comes from. It came, comes from the dark ages when we everything would be in a bottle and everything would be purchased and nothing would be fresh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. And I feel like that, you know, that fresh citrus revolution really has, you know, it's been covered tons of times before, but it seems like something so simple and really has brought on the advent of this modern cocktail renaissance that we're enjoying the fruits of today. Um, Beyond lime and lemon, I was wondering about this when you were speaking. Are there any other common or readily available citrus fruits that do work in terms of balance in the one-to-one ratio when it comes to alongside the sweetening agent? Or are we basically talking about we need to get into the realm of acid adjusting? I think we're, I think we're near the realm of acid adjusting. I think with the one-to-one sort of thing, I mean, like grapefruit comes to mind, but it's going to be too sweet if we, you know, we, we do one-to-one on there. Um, orange juice, um, you know, sucks. <laughs> um, not a fan of orange juice. I, I think it, I think it oxidizes very quickly. That's an acid adjusting thing. Um, um, unless you're doing, we do it Sorelli and Charleston throwing in the orange straight into a Garibaldi. Oh yeah. Um, that's, that's super delicious, but that's another one. And even pineapple, there's some classic cocktails that, that don't call for, um, uh, any, any, anything else besides sugar, and pineapple juice, but um, I mean, we could we could make those, and they're they're incredibly out of balance. So I, nothing that I, I think comes to mind. Um, I think I think lime and lemon is is um, mm-hmm. lime and lemon is, is where it's at, and then then we can get creative and start throwing acid and stuff and having a good time. Yeah. So I guess, and you know, if we're if we're rebuilding here, reexamining this classic definition of the sour, we're saying traditionally with egg white, but then also, generally speaking, lemon or lime are going to be your citrus of choice, unless you want to start getting into uh, those those higher level techniques. We can say I would agree with that. And traditionally speaking, on the sweetening agent front, we're talking about simple syrup. Or sure, or um, uh, powdered sugar was another ingredient that was was used back in the turn of the century. Interesting. And then, how do you 
roughly speaking, do you know what that would have been like when it comes to uh, quantities versus, you know, for, for every one part of citrus? What are you looking at quantity-wise of powdered sugar? Um, probably very same. And I think it would probably be, you know, a lot of these things, like if, we, if we're looking at brandy sours, or apple jack sours, champagne sours, a lot of these um, didn't call for simple syrup at all in, in certain books. They would call for um, teaspoons of sugar. Um, of you mm-hmm. know of white sugar, um, uh, and um, that's how that's how that they would balance that out. And therefore, the simple syrup just you know obviously it's easy to prepare. Clues kind of in the name, but also just ease of use at the bar, right? In a higher you know and cleanliness, I would imagine too, rather than getting the old teaspoon measure out and maybe spilling some sugar on the bar top. Um, simple just makes things a lot more efficient. I think so. I think it does make it more efficient. I, you know, I have, a, there's a, there's a friend of mine that owns a number of restaurants and, and, and very, very good bar programs in Los Angeles. And, um, he stays to this teaspoon of sugar. So his bartenders, you know, they, they, they've on a busy night, they, they've got tickets to the floor and they're, they're taking little teaspoons and, 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 you know, very daintily <laughs> spooning their sugar into their cocktails. And, um, you know, while not efficient, it's, I mean, you're not adding water. Your water is going to become from the dilution. If you're adding simple syrup to something, you're technically you're watering it down. You're adding a little bit of water to it, even if it's just a mm-hmm. tad. So um, I, I believe that it does make a difference um, by having the simple syrup um, or if you're teaspooning your sugar in. Whether it's the correct difference, um, you know, I think is subjective. I don't, I don't think there's, there's necessarily a right or wrong, wrong way. I think there's, there's two roads that lead to the same mm-hmm. destination. And we cover, you know, rich versus standard simple on this a lot, or demerara, um, agave. Are there any other maybe slightly less common sweetening agents that you think work for this drink or do you kind of like to utilize behind the bar yourself? Well, I think I think when we're talking about different sweetening agents and I, I, I think of a sidecar, which, you know, would be would fall into that non-traditional sour category. It wouldn't have an egg white in it. But um you know, instead of simple syrup, they're adding curacao to it. Um, so I mean, that's a creative way to sweeten a cocktail up um, and, and and still allow it to be a little bit, um, you know, dry. Um, and then and then there's plenty of um, of syrups uh, that can also add um, a little complexity to your to your fruit, to your citrus. A, a raspberry syrup, you know, is a is a good example of that. Um, which is a classic, mm-hmm. you know, a classic. So your, your fruit syrups, your, 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 your passion fruit, your pineapple syrups, um, you can stay true to, you know, traditional style recipe and then um, add a whole bunch of flavor by adding some sort of um, creative syrup to it. Mm-hmm. And are you, would you fall into the camp yourself of someone who possibly wants to um, measure the bricks of something or are you? Would you rather make a syrup like that, or an ingredient, and then tweak the specs on the final drink to 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 fit? Yeah, that's that's the question, isn't? It? This is the one that I'm supposed to. You know, if my friends are listening, I'm supposed to say yes that I measure the bricks to, to, to every <laughs> syrup that I use. But um, you know, I, I I find myself in a place where um, that's kind of low priority for me. Yeah. Balance. And consistency and being able to knock this out quickly, you know, um, um, with the bar teams that we have um, and, you know, the, the amount of um, I think it's, it's it's no secret that a, a restaurant's labor is, is through the roof. So things things like measuring bricks and this and that, <laughs> um, there, there, there definitely is an application for it. I definitely want to tell you that I do it, but I don't do it yeah. and I don't do it enough. 
Um, or at least I think a good application for it is um, finding a ballpark and then, you know, writing a recipe around um, what you found. And then, um, and then at least you have a benchmark, at least you have a standard where you can start from and then build your recipe on that. Like we, we, um, it took us long enough to get into measuring out everything to grams mm-hmm. and getting bartenders to use a gram scale um, when they're making their syrups. But I, I think that, that, that taste, you know, flavor, which is a subjective thing. Um, I think balance, um, you know, all those things um, are our top priority. And if all else fails, absolutely. That's a, that's a wonderful tool to have, mm. is, you know, is, is measuring your bricks. Um, and, and I apologize to all the pastry chefs that are listening to me too. <laughs> well, I think, I think that's a great point there, like a, a, a really nice middle ground when it comes to recipe development, which is that when you're off there on your own, R&D and cocktails, creating a new syrup for this, you can get that syrup to the bricks that you want and you feel is right. And as long as your recipe is accurate and concise and also maybe takes into account variations and in, in sweetnesses of ingredients, right? Like talk about raspberries. But as long as you have that recipe pretty much down, therefore you're comfortable with the cocktail going forward and you're not having whoever's working on the prep shift trying to hit that exact same number every time on the brick scale. Because like you said, it's time, effort, and that's money at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When it comes to actually building some of these drinks, um, you know, I mentioned the gold rush there earlier, and I'm assuming whether it is two to one honey to water or one to one, I forget, as I've mentioned, I forget the exact spec on that, but we're we're getting honey to a place where we can actually work with it, right? Because good honey in a room temperature setting might be semi-solid as it is. However... I feel like when I'm using one of those syrups or maybe an agave, I feel like I worry about some getting left behind in in the jigger. So when it comes to building these drinks, how do you get around that problem? I think, well, I I think that, um, you know, the way that we we train our bartenders is to pour uh, basically a recipe backwards. So we would start with the sweetener and the citrus and go from, um, you know, the less expensive ingredient to the most expensive ingredient, usually mm-hmm. being the driver's spirit at the end. So if you make a mistake, you can throw it out and start over. And, and most likely you didn't waste, you know, you're not pouring down the drain something that's very expensive. You caught it before it got that far. Um, if you're using something like that, that has a lot of viscosity and um, is kind of hard to get out of the jigger, um, then then I would start with that. And then when you add your your, your sweetener or, or when you add your citrus to it and then you add your, your spirits to it, it's kind of washing it out as it goes. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, definitely. You kind of, by the time you get to the end of the, you know, all the ingredients have, have gone through the jigger there, you're pretty sure you got most of it out of the jigger. But again, this is this is why this is why we taste hopefully taste things before we, we serve them. We should taste them before we shake them. We should taste them after we shake them. Um, and, you know, if, if it's something like that, it, it, we should be able to catch it by then. Mm-hmm. All right. Now we can move on to egg white. Um, we've said that this is traditionally included in this style of drinks, but doesn't feature in all of them. Um, for you personally, as a drinker's preference, are you a yes or a no on the egg white front? <laughs> Your timing's good asking this question. Um, I just had a long conversation with some other beverage professionals about this. 
um, I'll give a little history. You know, back in the day, you know, years ago when people started drinking sours and we started putting egg whites back into cocktails, you know, people were apprehensive. They, well, you're putting a raw egg into my cocktail. And we had, you know, we had to explain to them, um, you know, I had my my bow tie and suspenders on and, and was, was super excited to explain to him how it was safe and how it was, you know, it was prohibition-y to do this and um, that it was going to make it taste good. Um, fast forward to now, we have so many other options out there um, that we can use to substitute this egg, this egg white because inevitably the, the drink sets and it starts smelling bad. Like even yeah. if you have really good fresh um, – organic hipster eggs, it's still going to smell bad. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm completely not on the egg, not on the egg white thing anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that if you're going to make a drink with egg white, um, you should drink it very fast, which is usually how I drink most of my drinks is quickly. Um, <laughs> but, um, we use a, is a, an egg white substitute, um, that we get from Mrs. Better's Bitters in Canada. And it's, it's, I, I don't know what it's in it, but it's, um, I have a feeling that I have an idea what's in it, but um, it's amazing. Um, the, the texture is great. Um, the, the final product, it, it doesn't separate quickly. Like it's, it's, it's exactly what you want. I know everybody, we were into aquafaba, you know, the byproduct of, um, of garbanzo beans and, mm-hmm. um, in its brine that worked out fairly well. Um, and you know, there's a couple other things. And, uh, one of my, one of my friends, Mike, um, who owns a bar called, um, Thunderbolt in Sandy or in uh, Los Angeles uses, um, hydrocolides and, um, different, um, additives that you would use for gelling and baking, um, to create syrups that are around, that gives you the, 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 the same texture as you would with an egg white. Yeah. Um, so you're shaking a cocktail with simple syrup. Um, there's nothing else in there. And all of a sudden uh, this magic texture comes out. And so that's amazing. We, so we have, we have options today. We don't need to necessarily, you know, reach into the, the dairy department, grab our eggs to make a cocktail. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if in doubt, yeah, just look at what the pastry chefs are doing. You know what I mean? They're, they're, <laughs> they're pretty good people to follow when it comes to finding new ingredients and alternatives and, and whatnot. It's interesting to hear you say that you, you've had some success with some of those like I, f- I forget exactly how they're sometimes categorized, you know, maybe like foaming agents or whatever, but I've seen some of those around and been tempted to try them myself because I'm like you, I just, even if it's the freshest egg in the world or whatever, I always seem to get that metallic taste that comes when using this ingredient. And I'm I'm like, is this worth it? Is, is the texture really worth putting up with this? Um, oftentimes it's not for me, so... That's where we are with that one. <laughs> or that's where I am with that one, I should say, at least. Um, now let's talk about glassware and serve, because actually, tell us, what do you think would be, again, the traditional option here? Well, I think I think traditionally, you, you probably, um, there's probably a lot of people that are smarter than me on this, but I, I would assume that before um, coupes and cocktail glasses became commonplace, Bartenders were reaching for whatever they had, um, whether it's it was a wine glass, it was a small you know small wine glass, or you know uh, 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 the champagne coupe, um, which started as a as a champagne vessel before we decided to put cocktails into it. Mm-hmm. Um, those were probably what you you would you would more commonly find. Um, and then I think that as as time went on, um, you know the the glasses started getting more more designed around what what the you know what the, the what the drink should have been, and um, 
smaller to to be the perfect volume to to look great with the wash line in there. Um, yeah, I think that that's that's probably that's probably where it started from. Mm-hmm. And then we see, you know, in other instances like the whiskey sour, we're talking. We move on to this like rocks glass and 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 served on the rocks. I don't know. To me, that kind of feels counterintuitive, especially if you are including the egg white in the drink. Like, aren't these rocks kind of breaking that up when you're drinking it? Yeah, I think that the, uh, you know an amaretto sour would probably be something that would come to mind too. That would be would you would serve over serve over ice. Um, it does, but it kind of also reminds me of like um, you know that that time when when bartenders were adding egg whites to the to their sour mix. So you could get a you could get a margarita served on the rocks with you know was 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 salt on the rim and and it might have egg white in it. It might give it a little bit, so it gives you a little bit of that frothiness. Hmm. Um, but I, I I think that that um, I think the texture is is probably the most important the most important element and you can still, I mean, the, the, the it's probably not going to be ideal, but it's going to definitely be a different experience drinking that texture, uh, over ice. Yeah. And once again, I'm going to ask your personal preference on this one, or is it a case of horses for courses depends on the drink, um, which glassware you're going for, for your sours? Well, I think it's, it's, it's up to, it's up to what the, what the drink needs. I think, um, I, I think that, that I think that texture this is why we use egg whites is because of the texture. Um, and we're not getting any flavor from it. Well, hopefully, I mean, we, yeah. anyway, we probably are getting flavor from it, but, um, you know, the, the idea that it would be neutral and that be adding a certain level of, of texture to the drink, um, which I think is, I think is the most important part. You know, I've seen, I've seen guys and there's nothing wrong with this, but I, I've seen, I've seen guys, um, use a, uh, um, almost like a, a milkshake frother to froth up their drink. And, um, <laughs> You know, and this would be something that they would shake and serve in, in, a, in a coupe. And, you know, you have an inch of inch of that texture on there. But the actual cocktail has 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 no viscosity in it. It's just a normal cocktail. It's just it's just the, the, the ingredients sitting there with with an inch and a half of foam over the top of it from the egg white. And when you drink it, you know, it, it's it, it doesn't incorporate itself into the drink. So I think that egg white, when you when you create a drink, when you create a sour with this element in it, you should have that texture every single sip from start to finish. So um, that's a great reminder right there. Yeah, because I think maybe I was I, I completely just fell into that trap, too, of thinking about texture as a nice head on this drink. But no, it's kind of like the Ramos Gin Fizz uh, situation here where it's like, do you want the towering head and then a really thin drink between it? Or do you want every sip to be consistent? And you're right. When, in terms of texture, it's, it's the latter that we're looking for there, right? Sure. Absolutely. And then, you know, the Ramos, you know, breaks that rule, I think, because it, it you know, it has the addition of the, the you know, the, the, the whipping cream, the cream in, inside of it. And so it does, that's giving you a little bit of the texture, but um, kind of funny. We just, we just bought this old timey uh, Ramos gin uh, fizz machine that you crank the handle and it shakes up like 10 of them. And it's, that's it. One of our restaurants. <laughs> oh, wow. Just, we, it, it looks pretty cool. I don't know how I felt about it, but I, I think it's pretty, pretty dope. That sounds awesome. You know, and I, maybe, maybe you want to, might want to get it over there at Sorella in Charleston that you mentioned earlier, because I got to admit to you, uh, I was, I was visiting there recently and enjoying some fine drinks, incredible service. Um, one of my companions, former producer of this show, Keith Beavers, ordered his first ever Ramos Gin Fizz. 
And some of the other people in our party were like, nah, don't do it. Don't be that guy. <laughs> uh, and your team were, were very... Um, very open to the idea and did a wonderful job of that too. I don't think they loved us for it, but they did not make it known in any way that they didn't appreciate making that drink. And you know what? At the end of the day, Keith got to have his first Ramoshin Fizz. So everyone was happy. That's amazing. I like I like that story. I like the, um, you know, I've been, I've been in, in service wells where somebody in front of me orders a, a cocktail that, that is, it can be time consuming like that one. But like, I think nine, nine times out of 10, um, instead of instead of being irritated that I have to make a, a you know a, a, an intense cocktail, which is which is my by my, my job by the way, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm actually I'm actually more just jazzed that they're, that they're excited about something that that is you know not normal. It's not Casamigos and soda exactly, and and I, I find that fun, and I, I try to get you know younger bartenders to to think in those terms that like you know there's a guest that's coming in that wants this. It might be a pain in the ass, but but they're also excited that you're going to make it for them, and you don't get you know, we yeah. we don't get that often enough. <laughs> and I got to say too, it was a real team effort as well. That shaker was getting handed off to people. You know, it was like watching it was watching the <laughs> Olympic relay final. There it was wonderful. Um, oh, that's amazing. It's a good one. I think I. I'll be honest, I might have a video of it. So I'll try and put that on online at some point so folks get to see that and how the drink came out. But it was <laughs> it was wonderful. Um, well, that is not a sour, as you say. So let's bring it back to sours now. And Mike, I'm going to ask you any final thoughts on the sour category of cocktails today before we move into our quick hit questions. Just, just I would just say be be careful. Just be careful. Make mm-hmm. it taste good. Um, make it. That's that's the number one. That's the number one rule. I think for for anybody that that is making their cocktails in in our restaurants. And you know, it's don't don't use esoteric ingredients to for the sake of es- esoteric ingredients to sound cool on a menu. Use you know. There's a reason why the classics don't go out of style. And make it tasty. Make it balanced. Um, you know, taste it a few times and use fresh ingredients. And that, that I think that's all I have to say about that. Very nice. Nice stuff there. All right, let's do it. Let's move into the five questions, uh, beginning with number one. Mike, what style or category of spirit typically enjoys the most real estate on your back bar? Well, um, being an Angelino um, at heart, um, I would say agave spirits usually happen to take up the <laughs> the majority of the real estate. Mm-hmm. Um behind my back bars it's it's what i it's what i'm passionate about and it's what i usually end up buying too much of when we're opening a restaurant very nice yeah it's it's a real popular one these days i feel like the rest of the the rest of the country's finally catching up with uh, la on that one and their love of agave spirits over there question number 2 which ingredient or tool do you think is the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal? Yeah, I was thinking about this one. I, the, the, this this is this is a hard one. Um, I think that maybe maybe having access to 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 um, recipes, classic recipes, you know, is is an underutilized tool. I, I think that there's nothing wrong with pulling out your phone and googling a recipe uh, to make sure that you get it right. Um, and I think that that's um, that could be undervalued. I had a second thought too, um, not, not, not in the traditional sense of a bartending tool, but, um, you know, providing a place where you can charge people's phones, I think is an undervalued, um, asset behind the bar. You know, we, we serve people, 
um, you know, alcoholic drinks, their fungal dies, they need to call an Uber, they need to get home. Um, you know, in the spirit of hospitality, that it's something that we should, we should, we should have. And Hey, you know, gets that phone out of their hands for a couple minutes too, which is always a, a plus side. Um, no, I jest. I think that's a, I think that's a really good point. It's important that, you know, when we are serving people alcohol, like you say, they have that available there to them. Number three now for you, what's the most important piece of advice you've received while working in this industry? Don't send an emotionally charged email out in the middle of the night. <laughs> Tell us about that. Tell us as much as you would like to about that. But I, I, I think we all maybe get some of the gist of it. <laughs> well, I was a, I was a new bar manager, and um, uh, this is back in the day when, when maybe chefs still do this, but chefs used to yell a lot, and I thought that maybe that, that's how I needed to run my bars by yelling a lot and um, being an asshole and and. Um, um, you know, somebody did something that, 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 that pissed 26 year old Mike off and, and, um, in management and, and it probably had nothing to do with anything. And I remember sending an email out to the GM of the restaurant saying this and that, and, um, he, he took me aside the next day and he goes, listen, he's like, I'm just going to tell you this because um, your your career is going to get cut short if you don't learn this lesson now. But never send an email like that out in the middle of the night. What you do, draft the email, look at it, read it, go to bed. And then when you wake up in the morning, read it again. And then then you'll know if you need to send it out or not. Most likely you won't. Mm-hmm. Fresh eyes. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question number four for you. If you could only visit one last bar in your life, what would it be? So this is a hard one. I think that and there's a number of, of bars out there that I, I like. And I was going to say something effective, like it doesn't matter as long as I get to hang out with my friends there. But um, there is one, there is one bar that I would like to go to one last time. And that would be um, El Carmen in Los Angeles. Nice. Tell us about that. Um, kind of old school bar, um, um, outstanding agave collection. The staff's great. Um, I used to go in there um, almost every single night, uh, five nights a week after work. I could walk there from my house. The door guys never remembered me. I got ID'd every single time. <laughs> I've been coming here for years. You see me every night. <laughs> At what point are they just fucking with you? you. <laughs> so that that would be the place. It's 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 fantastic. Nice. All right, Mike. Final question for you here today. If you knew that the next cocktail you drank was going to be your last, what would you order or make? I, I, I got to double down on the uh, on the um, on the El Carmen reference. I'd, I'd go in there and they get um, one of their pineapple spicy margaritas that they have. They have this vat of pineapples that sit in tequila, and I'm not sure what they do with it. I don't know how long it sits there if they keep adding to it or, or whatnot, but, um, <laughs> they make, um, really damn good spicy margaritas with this thing. And th- that would be the last drink that I would have. Oh, nice. You know, you talk about there, the much underappreciated, uh, classic pineapple tequila Solera system they got going on there. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> ex- exactly what it is. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, Mike, Thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, 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 yeah, and, and telling us, exploring all things Sours in this special techniques episode of Cocktail College. Well, thanks for having me. Cheers. Okay, I know what you're thinking, folks. That was a lot of info. But here's the good news every single episode of Vine Press Cocktail College 
is published on vinepair.com as a transcript, so you can check it out there all over again. If you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe. And please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher. And please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded in New York City and produced by myself and Darby Seaside, who also composed our awesome theme music. Just give that a listen, folks. I also want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the VinePair team, especially co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon, editor-in-chief Joanna Sherino, and art director Daniel Grinberg, who designed our killer logo. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time.